Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other. Let us pray. God, we are so grateful for the reminders that are in your, in your word. They so often kind of pull us back in line, help us consider those things that we're doing, and maybe hopefully improving upon those things that we are doing. Freedom is not a word to be taken lightly. Your freedom came with a great sacrifice, the sacrifice that our Military people has, was made with a great sacrifice as well and gained our freedoms in this country, too. But freedom, true freedom, can only come through you when we set aside those things that are not in tune with the Spirit, not in tune with what you would have us do, and just regard those things that we, we choose to do for ourselves. So, Lord, we cling to those words. We cling to that message to look at you, to look at your word, to look at your and ask for your Holy Spirit to just fill us up so we will be filled with those good things, the gentleness, self-control, mercy, all of those things that are the fruits of the Spirit. And so, Lord, as Pastor Mike comes forward to give us the message this morning that he's been working on for days with with your work and your, your Holy Spirit working within him, we just pray that we are open to that message, that we are open to hear what freedom truly is, and how we can experience that for ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple things as I come to preach the everlasting gospel before you. Um, first, a massive prayer concern uh, that I ask of you. You might notice Kelsey Drews is not here. It's not because she's had her baby yet. It's because she's with a bunch of other people's babies at Summer Games University. Um, Summer Games is our huge Christian camp. They have descended upon and taken over the Central College campus. 
from yesterday. COVID's been a weird year from yesterday through today and until the end of Wednesday. So please pray for the hundreds of students that are gathered there um, listening to and hearing uh, the gospel. It's, it's been a, a blessing to be a part of. I do encourage you um, to pop out to the photo booth outside the church today and get your picture taken in front of the Avenue of Flags. It's really beautiful. And then just this thing as I go to the gospel this morning, to the teachings of it. Last night, my, my family is here this week, which is awesome. And last night, Kirby, <clears throat> Kirby asked me, my son-in-law, are you ready for tomorrow? Are you ready? Let me tell you why I am. I come to holiday weekends, and I assume we won't set an attendance record. But I do welcome all of you that don't have boats and cabins. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> but I remember this. I grew up in a large church. I was part of a large church in the college I went to. I've been mostly in large churches. And the most important thing that ever happened to me in my spiritual life happened with less than two dozen people in attendance. Because on Easter Sunday, my junior year in college, I was, against my will, invited three different times at 6 o'clock in the morning with pots banging against my door, my dorm room door, to come to Easter sunrise service. It was the last thing I wanted to do because I guarantee you at that point in my life, I had been up still earlier that day. But I went. And 20 of us gathered in a circle. And in the middle, Sterling Bolden stood, and he stood, and I'm not giving you the 45-minute sermon. I'm giving you the two-minute reason I'm ready. There was a piece of barnyard wood that had been fashioned into a crowd, and at the end of the service, his 20-minute or whatever it was talk, with my feet wet because it was too cold to sit down. It was Easter Sunday in Iowa, you see. He came around, he broke a piece of that cross off. Now, what I knew Sterling of before that was he was the down lineman that stood in, that blocked in front of me to keep people from, I was a middle linebacker, keep them from blocking me so I could tackle people. That was Sterling's job. But that day he preached the everlasting gospel. And at the end of which he'd break off a piece of that cross, small or large, whatever his hand got. And he'd come around, he'd put it in his hand. He's six foot six, 240 pounds. It's not a small dude. And he started with the person next to me, went all the way around the circle. And when he got to me, he put it in my hand, and he grabbed, I mentioned how big he was, right? And he says, Mike, what are you going to do about Jesus? And, you know, everybody else had said something, so I said something, and I started to back up, but Sterl grabbed on. And he says, Mike, what are you going to do about Jesus? Now, I mentioned how big he was, didn't I? And he was African-American, not a Methodist. <laughs> so he goes, Mike! Sorry, guys, back there. What are you going to do about Jesus? And he just wouldn't let go of me. Finally, after about seemingly five minutes, probably 45 seconds, asked me the same question five or 12 times, he let go of me. I went back to my dormitory, because really I was just glad to be let go of. And I said, you know, that's probably the most important question anybody had ever asked me, not in my 20 years of growing up in the church, Sunday school, vacation Bible school, all that. But what am I going to do about Jesus? And it was there that day that my chains were set down. I got on the floor of my dorm room, which was not, you know, it's pretty gross because I was a guy, right? And I prayed. And I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior for the first time. There was small attendance that day. 
So am I ready to preach for this morning? Oh yeah, you know why? Because I've been here the last four weeks. I've been here when our youth gave testimony. I was here the day we talked about Christian marriage. I was here the day we talked about baptism and we went outside in the rain and many of you renewed your baptismal vows. Last week we were here about, and we talked about Christian burial and how important it was to give testimony to Christ at, at, your, at, at your funeral. So when I was asked, am I ready? I kind of gave some sort of flippant answer, I'm sure, last night because that's part of Kirby and I's relationship but I got up this morning ready because I see the Holy Spirit flooding in this church amen right now I see what God is doing right here among the Methodists in Marion and those of you that are part of the church online so yeah I woke up I'm ready are you ready okay let's preach here we go are you really ready though because we could go home early all right thank you I start with a simple question. I'm going to end with it too. Is America's quest the same as Jesus? We're sitting here on Independence Day. Is America's quest the same as Jesus? This is an important and dangerous question because we here are all aware of the American political situation. We understand religiosity in the world today. So is Jesus' quest the same as America's? Well, let me answer this with a picture. I want you to look at two men. These two men, do you know who they are? They both have the same name. Yes, it's John Adams. One is John Adams, one is John Quincy Adams. One's a father, one's a son. John Adams, the older of the two, is the father of the other. He was one of our founding fathers, helped write the Declaration of Independence, and was the second president of the United States. The second was John Quincy Adams, is his son. He is the sixth president of the United States, and I will tell you, like any father, the father influenced the son. The father's ideas did trickle down to the son. Now, the son was very accomplished, obviously, in his own right. But the father did influence the son, but the son was responsible for his own decisions. He made decisions of his own. The son, John Quincy Adams, was the first American president to say sincerely and in an organized way, slavery is the wrong way to run a country. The sixth president. His father, while he might have felt that, never publicly proclaimed that. He made decisions on his own. The father preceded the son. Okay? That groundwork to get to this. Christianity preceded country on this land. I say that on Independence Day. Con Christianity preceded country. Okay? The handprints and the influences of Christianity are clear in the words and the actions and the documents of our founders, our forefathers and foremothers. Most of our founders' lives were based in the Christian church. I don't want to miss all that. That's important. Early Christian preaching, early American Christian preaching, focused on the wrongness of oppression before the revolution and after the revolution. Uh, oppression of various and sundry kinds. Oppression from the British, oppression of uh, things that were going on within the American colonies. And the Old Testament and New Testament message served as a point of reference, an absolute point of reference, maybe even one of the building blocks upon which they stood when they were writing the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, and others. There's a lot of God talk. There's a lot of this, you know, references to, to the Lord in our foundational documents 
This is, by the way, different from many countries in the world. Now, though it does not seem that our founders intended to make a Christian state out of the United States, it seems equally certain that they took the pillars of the Christian life and made them central to life as American. Let me make my case. It's my point of coming by today. There are three pillars that cross over between America and Christianity that are important for us to distinguish and understand. The first is freedom, the second is peace, and the third is sacrifice. And just so you know, I didn't hesitate preaching this message when there were 60 men and women that had served in our armed forces here earlier today, and maybe some of you here today did as well. And for that, we are honored and, uh, for your service, and we thank you for it. Now let's look at these pillars one by one. First, freedom. Vicki read just a few moments ago from Galatians 5. You, my brothers, and of course in this latter day we will add sisters, were called to be free. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free. In America, we understand those documents. In America, we promote the fact that all are free, all are equal. It doesn't matter how much melanin you have in your skin. It doesn't have many, how many bucks you have in your pocket. It doesn't even matter if you live in Iowa, Georgia, Florida, New Jersey, California, even Oregon. Freedom is a birthright in America. You do not earn your freedom. Other people have earned it for you a long time before you were. Now, Christian freedom is more than physical freedom. As Americans, we have the freedom to come and go as we want. You came to worship and you were not afraid at all of, of, of any legal resources maybe slowing you down. You weren't afraid of the state saying, no, if you go in there, you're going to jail. But Christians, Christian freedom is more than physical freedom. It goes beyond that. Freedom in Christianity begins with Christ's sacrifice where each is freed from sin and death. It's not just that we're all let free, it's that we're freed from something. We are freed from the sin that is part of our natural state and we are freed from death, which is 100%, 100% undefeated against the human life. And Christ's sacrifice frees, up, frees us from both of those. Freedom from, for the Christian is the opportunity to do what Christ wants us to do without fear that our performance will be counted against us. Isn't that wonderful? I can work for Christ and be a complete knucklehead, and my efforts can fail. Yet as long as, my, my, as, long as I'm using my freedom to attempt to do the right thing, Christ blesses those things and actually uses some of those things for the good. You know, that's one of the things I look back to Sterling preaching that sermon way back in 1980, and I wonder if it hit anybody else because I don't know. And I don't even know if Sterling went home thinking, well, that was a waste because God used that to transform me. Christian freedom is the freedom to, and to use the opportunity to what we have, and freedom for the Christian is more than freedom to say and be what we desire. It's used to serve others. We're supposed to use our freedom for the betterment of all of God's people here on this world and as they move towards the next. So the first, free, first pillar is, is that idea of freedom. The second pillar that crosses over from, uh, from Christianity into uh, America is that pillar of peace. See, in Psalm 37, in verse 37, it says this. Look at those who are honest and good. 
for a wonderful future lies before those who love peace. In America, we love peace. Not just peace and quiet. We like the serenity in which there is no warfare around us. We also know enough about this. The epochs of American history have been defined by war. And we prefer and we seek after peace. More than that, more than that, we desire it and we pursue it for others. Not just here in the U.S., but everywhere. Today, we're, we're aware of what's going on. We agree as Christians, we agree as Americans, that Israel and Afghanistan and others should be at peace. And, and of course, our freedom allows us, and you watch TV, you have internet, you might listen to some of the you know, podcasts that come out. We have the freedom, and we support the freedom, to disagree with how that freedom is doled out, how that comes about. But the Christian seeks peace for every person. And our third pillar, which is also a crossover, is the pillar of sacrifice. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, it says, If you keep biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. You know, it's been since Genesis 3, a world existence long quest to solve the problem of living together of just being humans sharing the same globe you know we've tried to work out racial and political differences we've tried to work out food and housing insecurities we've tried to work out economics that might be a benefit for all we even you know in the republic of 50 you know Democratic states have come up with a way to govern that, that, that says we're a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. It's what we quest. William Barclay, who's a Scottish biblical commentator of a century ago, wrote this, Christianity is the only true democracy. Because in a Christian state, everyone would think as much of his neighbor as he does of himself. Think about that. Everyone would think as much of his neighbor as he does of himself. See, with love as our motivation, we seek peace for others. We've been freed from being critical of others because Christ has set us free. Therefore, we can focus on them, not our own fe feelings. We can focus on others, not just our own feelings. You see, it's a human nature. The nature of a human being is to take care of ourselves to want for what we want, to do for what we do, to care for what we care. That's human nature. Christian nature is to take care of everyone else too. Of course we take care of ourselves because we can't do any good for anyone else unless we take care of ourselves. And yet the Christ Christian thing to do in Christianity, we say we're seeking to take care of everyone else, no matter what they look like, no matter where they live, no matter how they live their lives. We have an opinion, we have a thought on that. But we seek to take care of everyone else. In America, we take seriously the idea of sacrifice. You know, there were three things that were really important for us to move from our downtown church. And they're on the east side of this building. First was the picture of Moses, the bringer of the law. Second was the stained glass window of 
Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who tells us, even on that window, I am the way, the truth, and life. And third, and this is very interesting for a church, there's a third window out there that says peace on it. It is one of just a few, just a handful of stained glass windows that were put in American churches that depict the American flag. I encourage you to look at it. And there are some reasons for this, and they're not insignificant. The, the first was, this church, the downtown facility, was built in 1895. And if you know anything from your civics classes, you'll know that that's 30 years after the end of the American Revolution. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, the American Civil War. The end of the American Civil War, 30 years prior, means that the people building the church were in their 50s and 60s. They were veterans. They were thankful for the sacrifices of the dozen or more people from our congregation that lost their lives in the American Civil War, and they wanted to make sure that peace endured for a long time and that equality was part of America's values. So they put their lives into that. They knew the sacrifices that had been made and they knew that, that millions of others would have to be sacrificed. We take the ideal as Americans of sacrifice very seriously. Now, I wasn't the pastor here in September of 2001. But in the first week of October in 2001, the place where I was a pastor, a man named Frank walked into my office. He had been in the, Army, or the Air Force Reserve for many years. He had served eight years and then was in the Reserve. And he came in and said, I've gotten myself called back up. I said, Frank, you got two kids at home? Why are you going? He says, Mike, he says, nobody wants to go. Nobody wants to go. But I felt it was important for me to sacrifice this, meaning his life there in Hamilton County, to go for others. I just know I have to help. God bless you for your sacrifice, Frank. I'm glad you were willing to go. But that is part of the American and Christian mindset. You know the quote from your civics class of Patrick Henry, and you should read the larger piece that this is a part of, where he talks about sacrifice and says that little, you know, sentence that a lot of people have on tattoos, give me liberty or give me death. Because now, at this point in our American history, 300 years in, over a million Lives, a million human beings, a million of God's precious creatures have sacrificed their lives going there to either ensure freedom here or to provide it there. Billions, and I, I mean literally billions, not the way high school kids says it today, literally billions of dollars have been given by the collective us for peace in the world and to aid those that are aching and needing freedom. Domestic sacrifices through our tax dollars and many common good agencies week after week flood the world, flood our country to ensure freedom of various kinds to people. Freedom for, for Americans always leads to sacrifice. For the Christian, Christ's sacrifice leads to our freedom. There is a difference there. Our freedom leads to sacrificing ourselves to the delight of Christ who grants us greater freedom. So understand this, that Christian sacrifice is not confined to the boundaries of political alliances or partnerships. That's why this church in the last 
18, 19 years has sent quite a, more, more than a dozen groups of people to Haiti, a number of people to Mexico, a couple of trips to Mozambique in Africa, and even just recently, as recent as two weeks ago, we have pledged to help the Maven people of South Sudan who, who reside in Iowa because their country is so war-torn and they need the gospel, but I don't speak their language. So we are helping a pastor that speaks their language, helping them connect as a community as they are all refugees in, in Omaha and Des Moines and, and Storm Lake and Mason City and these places. Our, our, our sacrifices are not just limited to what we see. Our sacrifices continue. Even though the world is kind of jumbled right now, we sacrifice for both the Palestinians and the Jews in Israel. We pray for the Christians and the Muslims in these places. And so when I come back to the question that I started with, is America's quest the same as Jesus? Well, when freedom and peace and sacrifices turn for our personal gain? No, it is not the same quest. It is not. When freedom and peace and sacrifice granted by us, uh, by Christ, is shared with all, then yes, those are parallel messages. And we should seek to, and it should be our aim to fulfill them both. So the bottom line is, to align the quest of Christ with our daily living as dual citizens of the kingdom of God and of the United States of America. We have that dual citizenship. We are citizens of the United States and we're citizens of the greater kingdom that lasts not just during our lifetime, but from now and forever.